Hi, I'm Cici, and this is the Rotten Girl's Guide to Sexual Tropes. In Chinese, Punyu or Rotten Girl specifically refers to girls who have a very distinct and socially unacceptable fetish for reading boys' love manga. This particular podcast is dedicated to fetish manga reviews and the frank discussion of sexual tropes and how they reflect our real daily lives. The goal is to create an honest dialogue about mental health and how it influences our social sexual health from the perspective of women with autism. Specifically, we want to normalize and address the visibility of women with autism in the media while also getting down and dirty reading some fun and nasty cartoon porn. So we hope that you will join us on this exploration and enjoy. Hi, I'm Cece. And this is the Rotten Girl's Guide to Sexual Tropes. And my name is Jean. So, Jean, um, you're not a girl. So, what are you doing here? <laughs> uh, that is correct. I am a transmasculine, non-binary person. So, um, when we first met, I identified as a girl and did until a few years ago. And then I realized that that wasn't really the case. Um, but up until that point, I processed a lot of angst <laughs> through reading manga. <laughs> Sweet. So just to clarify uh, and explain a little bit about how we got to know each other, because I'm hoping you'll come back and talk to us more. So like to introduce who you are. Uh, we were actually roommates like probably over a decade ago. And yeah, just about 10 years ago. Yeah, I think I think closer to like 11, maybe even 12, because I went to China like 10 years ago. <laughs> right. Um, yeah, so uh, you were my roommate, and you were like this super adorable lesbian who was <laughs> like, had a freaking blowtorch in the garage. And I was like, this is the coolest person I've ever met in my life. Yeah, it's been a while with a lot of changes. I think that today's topic is a story that you've chosen. Can you introduce it to us? So this is a two-volume manga called <laughs> Hanjuko Joshan by Morishima Akiko. Um, and the title translates to Soft-Boiled Girls. <laughs> that um, sounds really cute. Right? It's sort of like half-finished. And uh, she talks about the author uh, really wanting to, like, target in on that feeling of like late adolescence when you're still like figuring out who you are and like everything's really agonizing but in retrospect you're kind of like nostalgic for those feelings in this kind of bittersweet way uh, so it's a very cute story and she has a very cute drawing style also Mm. So I didn't get a chance to actually read this story, and I was reading a, a website called All the Tropes alltheTropes.fandom.com, and it refers to the romantic two-girl friendship um, and describes it as being very popular trope in Japanese uh, manga. Basically, it's when uh, two girls have a romantic relationship that never really gets to the sexual part and it's seen as pretty acceptable in Japan so long as you're you know like a young student it's kind of like a practice for real world dating like how does that trope compare to the reality of this story is is this story that falls in line with that 
One of the interesting things about, like, I kind of looked through this list of tropes too, and a lot of the tropes that are kind of most common in, like, Yuri or Girls Love manga are also labeled as being subverted, which I think is really accurate, like, looking back at it. Mm-hmm. There's, um, Morishima Akiko is primarily a Yuri author, so, like, all of these tropes are, mm-hmm. like, her master's degree <laughs> um and so it's really interesting in this story the way that she plays with that because mm-hmm. um she's one of the few yuri authors that's like openly a lesbian as well oh that's um, cool yeah a lot of yuri manga is written like from that perspective that you're talking about where it's written more by uh straight women or by men and you can kind of tell when it's been written by men honestly <laughs> i think um, it's it's like a bit more like risque more sexual when it's by men and more like cute and fuzzy when it's by women honestly it's really more about um the ones that are written by men i uh, i see as more polarized either mm-hmm. it's like this is explicitly written as pornography Mm -hmm. or from like the other perspective like not really even acknowledging real lesbianism and everything is very chaste and it's clear like this isn't a real relationship you know this is like the japanese version of like the virgin whore complex but like lesbian version quite a bit um and i think in general um the way that the even friendship relationships are written by uh, female manga mm-hmm. authors is a lot more complex. Uh, mm-hmm. But what the way that it compares to the reality, I can't necessarily be the best judge of because the real comparison is what it's like to be a lesbian in Japanese culture, right? Yeah, of course. Um, yeah. And a lot of queer identities are a lot more underground in Japan, not mm-hmm. necessarily in people's personal lives, but definitely in their family lives, mm-hmm. right? I feel uh, like I can talk a little bit about this from being in yeah. China. I mean, it's not the same, obviously. China and Japan, they got their issues with each other. Sure, um, from a non-Western perspective. Yeah, and so where I lived in China, uh, it's a city called Chengdu, and uh, mm-hmm. I mean, at least among certain groups it's like infamously a gay center of mm-hmm. of the western china um and it's much more gay friendly than i think a lot of other places are um but i don't know that it was like so much gay friendly as lesbian friendly i'm not exactly straight but i don't really have a, an identity myself I don't really like to use labels to identify myself and I don't really feel comfortable with any particular label because I feel like it's just unnecessary. <laughs> but when I got there to China, um, I, I guess I mostly consider myself straight. And I was pretty surprised to find that a lot of the local women who seem to be straight and live like as if they were straight would respond to me as if I was a man. <laughs> But, like, it wasn't really a lesbian thing. And I don't really know how to explain or describe it. It, it was quite a different relationship right. than than anything that I've experienced here in the U.S. Yeah, I mean, I haven't had that kind of experience. Um, the only time that I've, like, been outside the U.S. was when I lived in Germany for a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, but 
you know, one of the significant differences is also in just like what's normal between kids, right? And mm-hmm. I think that in America, because you know, gay culture has had a more mainstream upswing since the 90s, mm-hmm. there's also a little bit of a homophobic backlash from that, right? Mm-hmm. Where, like, I remember being a kid in like middle school and having classmates who were bullied because they were perceived to be lesbians or perceived to be gay, right? Yeah. Um, and when that's a little bit further underground, in a way, mm-hmm. homophobia is also a little bit further underground. And there can be a lot more intimacy between mm-hmm. like same sex friends, like in a physical way, without it necessarily being sexualized or even being a question of someone's sexuality, right? Yeah, this is this is something that bothers me about Western culture in general, and that is like everything comes back to sex and you know like I don't know about other people but like sex does not take up so much of my time that my entire world needs to revolve around it my entire identity doesn't need to revolve around who I'm fucking like it doesn't matter (laughs) but you know when you go online or when you're talking to people it's become like all of our identity, 100% of our identity, who's straight, who's gay, who's bi, who's trans, who's pansexual, like, who gives a fuck? Like, you have sex with who you want to have sex with, and that's it. It doesn't matter, you know? But (laughs) it seems to. Um, And that's not exactly how I grew up. Like, what you're describing about kids being bullied and stuff like that, that's like, like, intellectually, I knew that that was happening, where I grew up, but it wasn't actually what I experienced or what I saw, which that could be an autistic thing because, you know, I am not paying attention. <laughs> but um, I, we had a lot of diverse friends when I was a kid, in high school especially. Um, and I, well, I can say all the way back to middle school, uh, I can name three guys who came out to me um, Oh, actually, I don't think I ever saw a lesbian classmate, ever. There was a girl who seemed to be bi, but she didn't really claim it. But the guys were willing to claim it. So, like, in middle school, a classmate came to my house. This is like, I think, after just after ninth grade, and we had just graduated, and he was, like, terrified. He's like, I have something to tell you. And I'm like, what's up? And he's like, I like men. And I was like, yeah, I know, it's okay. <laughs> and he started crying. And I was like, oh my gosh. And I'm like, it's fine, don't worry about it. You know, and apparently that was like the right response. And, you know, he was really happy with that. And like, I swear, like, I hadn't seen him for like a year before that. And I never saw him after that. But, you know, I think, <laughs> you know, that's friendship. You, know? <laughs> you got to try it out. <laughs> I was like, you know, no no risks here <laughs> so yeah. um but like when i got to high school i i had a, a a group of friends and we were actually the the social rejects so like nobody wanted to be around us they all thought we were satanic because we listened to rock music and had like black clothes and stuff but uh one of us was gay and um there was actually a very special pair of brothers um and i say that because like honestly they're just wonderful people and they've always been wonderful, fantastic guys. And they just treated this guy. He was like their best friend growing up too. Mm-hmm. But they just treated him like normal. They never made him feel weird. They never made him feel awkward. 
um, and in Puerto Rico, when you greet somebody, you, you usually, if it's a girl, you will kiss them on the cheek, right? And it's kind of, I mean, it's sexist, but it's not sexualizing. It's just like a polite form of greeting. So like these guys in this very machista masculine culture where like your gender defines everything, we're still greeting this guy by kissing him on the cheek and just acknowledging who he was and how he felt about himself without ever like making a point of like, you know, making him feel feminine or anything like that. And that was like really yeah, a, like a defining thing to my own vision of like how gay people should be treated. Like just like you treat anybody else, you know? Right. But also like how other people should be treated, not gay people. I feel like more men should be kissing and hugging each other. <laughs> So it should be like more normalized in straight culture as well. So, <laughs> so, <Right>. yeah. <clears throat> Sorry, I was just pausing. <laughs> um, yeah, so I'm not totally sure where in our culture that sort of phobia around like intimate contact between friends of whatever gender identity comes from. Um, I do think it's really damaging to a lot of people because you know, kind of what you were talking about earlier about mm -hmm. not being defined by sex. Um, you know, I think that those of us who like our sexual identities and gender identities are kind of under a microscope and constantly challenged also wouldn't define mm -hmm. ourselves that way if we didn't like have to all the time. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and it gets like pretty boring. Um, but so we're like <clears throat> queer or not, mm -hmm. you know, have so much like what I've heard call like skin starvation, you know, yeah. where it's, they might not want to be in a relationship or they might not feel ready for a relationship or they might not even be a sexual person, but really feel that lack of like physical intimacy in mm -hmm. their lives. Yeah. You know, I think it's so important for human beings, like psychologically, um, to have that kind of touch. And I think we're really seeing that in the pandemic too. Yeah. Uh, I feel like everybody's gone crazy and like yeah. <laughs> so much more, angry all the time but like and malicious like and sometimes you're just kind of like this person just needs a real big hug like just hug it out man you will yeah. feel better and you'll stop treating people like shit and it's gonna be fine you know yeah well i have a friend who i stopped into her studio literally the week before <clears throat> we had lockdown where i live and i was on a video call with her maybe two months after that mm -hmm. and she was telling me you know, that day that you came by my studio and when you left, you gave me the biggest hug. And that's the last hug that I've got. And I've been thinking about it for two months that I really appreciate, I guess, what a good hugger I am. <laughs> um, but that's the reality for so many people. Mm -hmm. And, on, you know, one of the things about coming out as gay is the fear of kind of losing that mm -hmm. intimacy with other women at the time that I did that, like, oh, now it's going to be weird because I'm attracted to women hypothetically, even if I'm not attracted to you. Mm -hmm. um, and it's kind of the same thing then coming out as trans. Um, and thankfully, I haven't really experienced that loss, but it was kind of my biggest fear because I did like witness that alienation of other kids at such a young age. Yeah. And I can see why if that happened 
you wouldn't have noted it, even like not being totally straight. Definitely at a younger age, I like mm -hmm. assumed that I would be straight when I grew up because I didn't like really know anything except that was normal. Mm -hmm. um, but then like getting into middle school and realizing that I wasn't totally straight, I kept that extremely secret, but I was really like hypersensitized to how other kids were treated. And the kids who were bullied for being gay mm. weren't even gay. It was just that's the worst thing people could think mm. to say about them. Yeah, like a guy who's slightly feminine or has a high-pitched voice, da, 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 all that kind of stuff. Right, but just a girl that no one else liked, you know, was bullied for being gay mm. because she was really close to one other girl. But they were really close because that was literally her only friend because everyone else, like, exiled her. Mm-hmm. You know, I found that interesting that you would say, like, you thought you were you were going to grow up to be straight as a kid. Because, like, when I was a kid, I literally never thought about it. Mind you, I was, um, so, I, I mentioned this to you personally, like, previously, and I'm going to bring this back up in the recording. Uh, but, you know, I was sexually abused as a child. So, when I was very sexualized from a very young age, and, like, reading really inappropriate books, and uh, doing... <laughs> really inappropriate things very very young and I I didn't really think about gender at all it, it didn't really come into it so much as violence came into it which you know I'm gonna discuss that topic with somebody else uh, later on this week but when I was actually old enough I think I was like 11 to more or less to have actual sexual feelings of my own not just kind of be like playing off uh or responding to an adult's sexual inappropriate behavior like the first person that i had a consensual right. contact with was with a girl and like i kind of knew from that point on that i was not exactly straight but it didn't really matter and it didn't ever like have part of my identity like you know I'm not like wearing flags or feeling like uh, being bisexual or pansexual or whatever changes any aspect of who I am <laughs> mm -hmm. did that make any sense <laughs> yeah, definitely um, you know mm -hmm. it's one of the, the frustrating things about being queer is mm -hmm. that can really uh, feel pigeonholing sometimes, you know, mm -hmm. that I worry at times the kinds of expectations that people have for me just because of my identity. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I'm also more open than a lot of queer and trans people like want to be, partly just because like I'm an educator in my mm -hmm. profession and it's something that's important to me and that I'm good at, so I don't mind. <laughs> Yeah, uh, yeah. When know, people ask questions or when kids ask you, like, are you a boy or a girl or something that would be rude to somebody else. Right. I don't, like, really take that personally. I'm just, like, I know <laughs> that I look different. And I've had to accept, like, being just kind of a weird person for a long time. For a long time before I knew that I was queer, even, you know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, when I, I was teaching in China and, you know, I would get kind of... Uh, more like gosh teacher you're really fat why are you so fat <laughs> but like you know yeah. if you like love teaching and love like 
educating people like that doesn't matter you just kind of be like gosh you really like care about weight a lot more than you should <laughs> but right. but it doesn't really like influence your your feelings about yourself but you know right. I've, I've actually like uh reached out to you several times um and mm-hmm. asked you like how do i say something the polite way or like did i fuck <laughs> up because you know i have other trans friends and i've accidentally hurt their feelings or upset them or like um, they feel like I've misgendered them and it's not intentional. It's just like, I'm still kind of figuring out like, what's the best way to talk about this? And everybody has a completely different idea of like how to do it right. But I think the culture right now, it's so anti-education and like the whole thing is like, oh, you should already know it. And if you don't already know it, you hate POC or you hate uh, the LGBTQ and you have to educate yourself and like where do I look (laughs) where do I start well that's free labor and that's emotional labor and I'm not gonna spend that on you because you're not worth it (laughs) and I feel like that's like so combative like besides the fact that there's so many unnecessary labels when it should just be like human (laughs) and do what you gotta do (laughs) and then also like you don't want to like tell people or educate people about the the labels that you feel you need for your own identity um so you know i've i have talked to other trans friends definitely what i think of as Mm -hmm. there's like google fatigue right yeah like is this a question that you could have googled then (laughs) then why are you asking me because i'm a lot of people's only trans friend yeah (laughs) um but like, there is very real labor sometimes where, for example, I've had multiple friends who are adults with adolescent children who mm-hmm. are trans ask me to talk to them, to talk to other parents, to talk to their kids directly yeah. about what they're going through and dealing with. And, you know, that is a lot. That can get kind of heavy for someone. Um, yeah. And I do think that... On the other hand, and this is kind of when we're talking about neurodivergence especially, right? Mm -hmm, To mm -hmm. say, you should already know this or you should Google this, that's pretty disingenuous sometimes because when Mm -hmm. you research something about trans issues especially, and I'm not going to speak to like POC issues because I'm white as hell, um, (laughs) but if you just Google like trans issues, a lot of what comes up is really transphobic because there are dedicated misinformation campaigns out there. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So yeah, know, actually, say, I want to bring this up. this up. People okay. don't know how to vet those sources at all. Like this is also I wanted something, something I wanted to bring up because um, mm-hmm. I actually messaged you fairly recently. I think it was like a couple mm-hmm. weeks ago, and it was just about this. There was um, an edge supposedly educator, uh, mm-hmm. and she was a white lady pretending to be a person of color, and mm-hmm. she also claims to be trans. Um, I'm using the word she, her pronouns are uh, they or him, I think. Um, But she presents herself as a woman in all her social media. So I'm using the term she. (laughs) Come at me. (laughs) Uh, But the reason that I'm doing that is because just in the same way that she pretended to be a person of color uh, to basically just fuck with the dialogue and to subvert the narrative of black yeah. rights matter and things like that, that kind of movement. Yeah. It seems like she's doing the same thing, 
with trans issues. So like yeah. a lot of her comments and discussions regarding trans rights and trans issues are turf arguments like yeah. trans exclusionary, reactionary feminists and super anti trans people. So, yeah. like, it, it really concerns me. <laughs> and I, I, I actually had messaged you because, like, just before then, I had encountered a man online who claimed to be trans, um, but who was actually not. He was actually a cross-dresser. He was a, a gay man who was cross-dressing. And he was using the claim that he was trans to shut down a conversation about the inappropriateness of something that he had said. Uh, and that seems to be like something that's happening a lot, like using these labels to shut down a valid uh, criticism of people who are behaving inappropriately or unacceptable. I think that you see that among any marginalized groups, mm-hmm. right? Um, or even groups that contain people with a lot of marginalized identities, what we call the oppression Olympics, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Um, but someone's identity is not a like built-in defense for shittiness. And most people know that, but for people mm-hmm. who don't share those marginalized identities, like that's a big warning flag for them a lot of the time to like, I need to tread really carefully here um, <laughs> because like none of this is, you know, part of my lived experience. Mm-hmm. Um, and then other people go full shithead, you yeah. know, and want to completely blow it up. Um, and that in between of mm-hmm. how do I challenge this idea? without invalidating this person's lived experience Mm -hmm. is tricky enough that most people just won't bother you know they just check out of the conversation completely at that point yeah yeah especially if you are somebody like myself who does believe in like i'm gonna say i'm an sjw i Mm -hmm. am uh because i believe in human rights for everybody and i think you have to fight for human rights i don't think anybody's going to give it to you but I also believe in fighting if there's something to fight about. (laughs) So, like, if you tell me something and I'm all like, no, there's something fucked up here, I'll fight you about it. (laughs) And I don't always, like, bother to learn the appropriate words or always be perfect in how I discuss a topic, you know, because there's, like, cultural issues. Like, in Spanish, for example, the word retard is still an acceptable word. And if you're using it in Spanish, it actually means to slow down or to be behind. So, like, it's an acceptable word. And if I'm thinking in Spanish, I can accidentally end up saying that in English. And that will make somebody really upset. And, you know, like, that kind of thing happens. Yeah. Um, Or, you know, I've just had friends from other countries or other cultures where they have completely different ideas about gender or identity or racism. Mm -hmm. And, like here their ideas are completely shut down they might still be valid it's just a different way of discussing it but like there's no willingness to to make a mistake (laughs) if you make a mistake the conversation is over and we can't discuss it anymore right one of the things that is honestly really frustrating about being a queer person like i Mm -hmm. think it's really interesting how you know you bring up like why Mm -hmm. do these terms matter like why do all of these like sub identities and like getting really detailed and how you label yourself matter Mm -hmm. and the truth is to most queer people they don't right it's Mm -hmm. a kind of superficial thing and it's also really culturally specific the idea that like Mm -hmm. being gay or being queer looks a certain way is uh 
really damaging to a lot of queer people and especially so when we're talking in the context of like manga for example um queer tropes like queer identities grow up really differently in different cultures and Mm -hmm. it's not like american and japanese cultures like haven't been cross-pollinating for like a hundred years um so there are some similarities but for example uh you know the way that people really conflate like being gay with drag queens and like club culture and stuff like that Mm -hmm. like that's not how most queer people are and a lot of queer people don't even like drag or anything like that a lot of trans people think that drag is really transphobic and a lot of it is (laughs) it Um, is it's also usually super misogynistic it hates women (laughs) like a lot of it is straight up just hating on women mocking women and you know it's it's i hate that it's become the the natural standard for like makeup and beauty (laughs) but that's a separate conversation for sure Um, but actually you know so that doesn't really serve anyone right because straight people are like what's all this and gay people are also like what's all this (laughs) like some of us are just reading comics alone (laughs) yes like us oh gosh well like you know that's also something i've been reading you know i've uh traveled a lot in asia so you know when i was in thailand it was uh really interesting i read a lot of articles about mm-hmm. um the lady boys and don't come at me anybody who's listening but like that is their preferred title for themselves they do not ascribe to like trans identity in the same way that they do here you know it's it's oftentimes it comes down to their parents deciding when their children that this pretty boy is going to become a lady boy and they have surgery very young uh so they that's why they're able to look so beautiful and have like great skin it's because you know they are able to change gender when they're quite quite young um but it's not necessarily that they feel like a woman or anything like that so you know they have a whole different culture around that aspect um, that you know we don't even accept that possibility here um, the same when I was in China like you know uh, I would just be hanging out with some friends and a woman would approach me and the woman might not identify herself as a lesbian or bisexual even but like she'd be all over me and touching me and at the same time I'd be like if this was a guy I'd be freaking out but it's safe because it's a lady so I was willing to put up with a little bit mm-hmm. of bad behavior that I wouldn't tolerate in a different context just because of their gender. Um, but also that that behavior was considered socially acceptable uh, because we were the same gender. Right. Like, well, and that's actually mm-hmm. really interesting if we want to talk about this manga a little bit. Mm-hmm. And one of the tropes that's on this trope list, which is the skinship grope. Uh-huh. <laughs> right. I don't know if you uh, if you read that article. Uh, I did not, but I, I have a feeling I know where it's going. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So basically, skinship <clears throat> is non-sexual touching, physical intimacy. Right. Yes. So like girls holding hands, but it's not a sexual thing. Or... I'm gonna tell you some funny things about this. <laughs> Can I? <laughs> I'm gonna interrupt right now, but like I'll yeah. let you go. So like, you know, I'm from Puerto Rico, and uh, yeah. when I was really young, this was like, we, we moved from Ohio, where like, uh-huh. people don't touch each other at all, at all. Right. And it's super racist also, but again, a different topic. <laughs> so like, I get there to Puerto Rico, and like, everybody's greeting everybody with a kiss on the cheek. 
Right. And like, you know, when I first got there, it, it's my family. So I just assumed that they're kissing me because they're my family. Right. But like, you know, after a couple weeks, I finally went to school for the very first time. And I started in seventh grade. It was my first day of school. And everybody, all these new girls and boys, but mainly the girls, they would greet me with a kiss on the cheek. Like, especially the first month or so, the boys don't dare to do it until they kind of know you a bit more. But the girls always do it immediately. It's considered a way of being polite. So I went home the first day and I was all like, Mom, I have to ask you something. She's like, what's up? And I'm like, I think everybody's a lesbian. And she just like... (laughs) (laughs) She just laughed. She knew immediately what I was talking about. She's like dying. And I was like, why are you laughing? They just kept kissing me. It was really weird. <laughs> and I'm like, my issue was more that like, I didn't want to touch anybody, but right. you know, so yeah. So, uh, that must have been a terrifying experience for an autistic child. <laughs> I mean, it was, it was just like, what the fuck? But, um, <laughs> yeah. But like when I went to China, the yeah. same thing happened, but without kissing. So, you know, in China, um, hugging and kissing is is considered really taboo uh especially if you do it in public it's it's not like it will never happen but it's considered like kind of rude and offensive and everybody will stare if you're doing it too much especially if you're like a a man and a woman but if you are a couple of girls and guys do this too and this is non-sexual at all so this is uh, coming back to like what you were commenting about, like touching each other and how straight people need to touch each other more. So like in Asia, you'd be outside walking around and it's completely normal to see like guys hugging each other around the shoulders or like right. with their arms locked together. And it's not sexual at all. Um, right. It's becoming a bit more taboo for men to do it. Like you might still see like the arms around the shoulder that's okay, but like the holding arms is not so much popular nowadays. But for girls, it's the opposite. It's become much more popular. So like, you know, I'd have all these girls that I barely knew and they just like always be trying to hug my arm or like holding it and I'm like, I'm not your gentleman friend. Why are you always touching me? And it was like, it was a bit too much. Especially at that time, like, you know, you're talking about, like, people, your friend who was like, the last hug I got was two months ago. I was like, I haven't been hugged in six months, and I am fine. (laughs) I can live without it. Uh, (laughs) So, like, when when I was there, it was like, all these people touching me all the time. It's making my skin crawl. I didn't like it. Um, I did get used to it eventually. (laughs) But, like, having random girls holding my hand all the time and I was just so shocked because like here that's only like a sexual thing a relationship thing like you only touch your lover you don't touch random friends or random people so it was quite a a lot and then of course you know I usually graduated to grabbing my boobs especially in the bar bathrooms but you know (laughs) well yeah So that's actually super relevant because that's Mm -hmm. what the skinship grope is, right? Mm. That's what the trope is, where it's the idea that, like, um, especially at, like, a sleepover or something like that, like, Mm -hmm. you just want to know how big each other's tits are. So, (laughs) you know, it's like a dick measuring contest, but 
for boobs. <laughs> yeah, this is like, this would happen all the time. I'd just be sitting at the bar, hanging out, and I would get a little bit drunk and a little bit sleepy, and I'd just be kind of like nodding off there with a couple of friends around, you know, so I was safe. And like every single time, a girl would come up behind me and be like, hi, hi, I really like your chest, and start like rubbing <laughs> My and if they were really shameless they'd like legit try to dig in there and get their hands into my bra and be like where are your nipples <laughs> be like what's happening oh my god but you know i was also kind of into it so <laughs> i was all like i think i'm a little bit more flexible than i realized uh like i yeah, only have yeah i only have like one non-consensual situation where a guy was like taking advantage that I was drunk to feel my boobs but like that was like the only one so I mean overall that's not too bad I mean it could be way worse (laughs) this terrible way to refer to sexual (laughs) harassment but like realistically speaking I don't see a lot of straight guys going up to just like grope each other's pecs like you know oh man you look rock hard bro I don't know but I have seen guys also kids but also adults who will come up and just like grab each other's dick i've seen that i think that's also a thing (laughs) and they're usually straight guys supposedly straight guys who just be like (laughs) (laughs) you're gay because you liked it (laughs) i'd be like what is this yeah so this might be like yeah i've definitely seen that kind of practical joke yeah i think this is kind of like a universal trope not even just a a yuri trope this is like assholes (laughs) being rude and offensive (laughs) kind of thing (laughs) yes well so one of the things about how that trope shows up in this story and Mm -hmm. Joshi, i think is really interesting and really demonstrates like how the Mm -hmm. author's perspective is different as like a queer woman (laughs) Um, yeah because the character that that's done to doesn't like it at all she's like fuck you i hate my tits like (laughs) and you've just made me really self-conscious of them uh realistic as fuck (laughs) genuinely yeah right Mm -hmm. and a part of that reaction because even though that's coming from like another girl a part of that reaction is this is a queer girl right and so getting that kind of attention when it could like out you if you don't respond in the right kind of positive yeah um, is like kind of a big thing uh there was so much in this story like early sort of gender feelings for me Mm -hmm. because i think i first read this really as i was just coming out as gay and accepting that at like it looks more modern gosh this Uh, is pretty old manga no it's an older story yeah i don't know (laughs) when it was released originally i want to say like around 2004 2005 and that's pretty pretty uh boundary crossing for that time actually especially for like a schoolgirl yuri story right where yeah. a lot of times they're portrayed as really romantic mm-hmm. and not very sexual relationships that end when the girls graduate you know mm-hmm. um so it's it was really refreshing to read a story that wasn't this like will they won't they is this romantic is this just friendship sort of thing it was like even though they start as friends it progresses to a romantic relationship pretty quickly and like as naturally as it kind of would in real life because most Mm -hmm. relationships like 
gay and straight start as friendships first, right? Yeah. Um, so it's not this like horrible volumes long back and forth sort of thing. <laughs> also, like their first, the first times that they actually do have sex are also really charmingly realistic because the first time it just doesn't quite work. They don't know what they're doing. It feels kind of weird. And the next time they try it, like one of the girls has just burned both of her hands on like a pot of boiling water and <laughs> they just kind of look at each other's vulvas and are like, man, these things look weird, huh? Yeah. <laughs> And, like, that's super relatable. You know? <laughs> and it's not, like, sugar-coated in that way. Um, mm -hmm. Where all of a sudden everyone miraculously knows what to do, even though we've just, like, said over and over that they're innocent virgins or whatever. No, no, it, that's what I love about Yaoi is that, like, there's always at least one of them who's all like, I just researched this online before we did this. <laughs> <laughs> or like one of them just <laughs> magically has lube in his backpack and you're all like why are you like carrying lube to like your 10th grade class kid right or i've even like i've heard of the trope of like the yowie hole right where it's like we're never going to talk about this being like anal penetration i'm just penetrating this dude without any kind of preparation and where the penis is going will forever remain a mystery I think that's not as as common yeah. nowadays, at least like in in the most yeah. uh, modern stories. Like, there's actually like, and this is something very satisfying, I think, and also very healthy. Um, it seems like mm -hmm. modern day yaoi has actually become much more gay friendly. So like, it's it's not so much about like satisfying the female eye anymore. It has become right. like much more realistic and like they discuss things about lube and angles and like doing things properly so as not to hurt each other. So I think that's pretty positive development in, you know, like a yeah, genre that's sure. considered like super anti-gay. And like one of the things about really all media is <clears throat> there's always <throat> been queer people making these kinds of stories, right? Mm -hmm. Even before they could be openly queer, but they still affected that genre. So you see that mm -hmm. even in like, in Disney movies in the Western world, right? There's a lot yeah. of creators who have been criticized, including Disney, for, you know, sort of retroactively making characters gay, even though they don't get to be like that in the media. Like when they did mm -hmm. the live action Beauty and the Beast, um, whatever Gaston's little friend, I don't remember what his name is, um, but the one who's all like, yeah, boss, all the time. Uh -huh. um, he, like Disney said afterwards, is gay and was supposed to be a gay character. Hmm. But he's not actually gay in the movies. Well, but that's actually a, a way that I would like to see gay characters. Because, like, a person is gay. They're not, like, constantly doing, quote-unquote, gay things. You get what I mean? Right. Like, what I'm like their sexuality just means, like, what they're attracted to, not how they behave. Right. But the difference is that... I get like, what does it yeah. it only benefits disney in this really specific way to even say that the character is gay yeah that i mean because... that's obviously stupid it's it's completely right. irrelevant it doesn't but... fix or change the story and gaston was a piece of shit anyway so yeah but by comparison you look at a movie like <clears throat> the little mermaid <clears throat> and that's for one thing a movie that was formative for like almost every trans woman i know and like secondly like <clears throat> some of the creative people working on that were like actually gay people like ursula the sea witch is based off of divine who's like a gay drag icon 
Mm-hmm. Um, and those kinds of influences have always been there and have always shown, right? Yeah. But a lot of times, like, queer kids are just, like, we get this, like, bat signal in our brain. It's like, whoom, 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 whoom. All of a sudden, <laughs> we're, like, resonating with something and we don't totally know how. And for most people, that's a lot more influential than the times when there's been a queer character that was, like, a stereotype. You yeah. Know? Because... Yeah we're not going to actually identify with that in any meaningful emotional way. Like the history mm-hmm. of queer manga, like a lot of it has been made by straight people for the straight eye. But yeah, some of it has always been made by queer people. And there's always been those elements that have had to be kind of in there. <laughs> Our media is like so uh, great nowadays, actually, because like you we're finally seeing not just like in the lgbtq characters but like realistic portrayals of like all kinds of different people like disabled people um people of color like just everybody and it's so awesome like even uh even in horror movies in in comedy movies like it's not so much like this blank slate character that could have been filled with anybody and you're like let's just stick in a black person stick in a gay person just stick in whoever's like the 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 type of person of the week a lot of these tropes that are sort of listed on this tropes page are really like subverted in this manga specifically because it has a queer creator mm-hmm. um which is one of my favorite things about it. Uh, And it's also just like super, super adorable. And there's also some like post chapters that were released Mm -hmm. in like separate volumes um, that are kind of poking fun at like Fujoshi culture in general because (laughs) the author like considers herself one. (laughs) Uh, So I recommend looking into that. Um, And I also just want to say if anyone does genuinely have questions about trans stuff and you don't know who to ask and you don't want to say the wrong thing reddit is a great place for that there's a couple of ask transgender groups that's literally just for that for people to ask questions or to search for questions that people have asked so just as earlier we were talking about how like Mm -hmm. there's a lot of bad sources out there i wanted to make sure to call out like a positive one (laughs) that's awesome so you highly recommend this manga to girls who are feeling a little frisky for other girls? So, or like anyone who likes cute love stories and doesn't mm-hmm. care that much about like how they're banging. <laughs> are there any other mangas that you want to recommend while you're at it? Well, one of my favorite mangas, I wouldn't say is like especially erotic, but it's called My Lesbian Experience with Loneliness. And That's an awesome there's... title. <laughs> right? Um, and there's two volumes after it that are called My Solo Exchange Diary, one and two. And they're all um, autobiographical essays, basically, from an author who um, starts the first book off by saying, like, this is what it was like when I paid to sleep with a female escort. Um, (laughs) Interesting. And this is, yeah. And that's her first sexual experience at age, like, 28 or 29. Yeah. Actually, what that volume about and what the other volumes are about is about her intense struggle with depression and an eating disorder and um, how it affected her life and, like, uh, things that I think are really relatable to young people in the, like, millennial generation especially. Mm -hmm. Um, 
and they're really fantastic. Again, you know, there's not a lot of sex, and I wouldn't exactly call it like a Yuri genre manga, um, but it's definitely one of my favorites. That's okay. I mean, this this podcast isn't just about you know porn. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah yeah this sounds like a great story and i hope you send me a link later because i really want to read it now well thanks a lot gene it's been really fun talking to you and i think we're gonna have an awesome episode and hopefully our listeners can learn a lot from you uh, and also find some great new stories to read yeah thanks for bringing me on to talk about it obviously i am very chatty <laughs> <laughs>